Good morning, church. It is a blessing to be back with you. It's always good to come to to Mound, uh, but it's been it's been a few years since I've been here, you know, with you guys, and uh, it is great to be back. I you know every time I come in uh, to a place where I've been, I'm always like, okay, I don't know where I'm going to park. But then I saw your Ram section <laughs> right over here. And I knew immediately where I should park, uh, since I'm in our ministry's ram this weekend. Um, so, my vice president, or vice president, Bob, he'd be freaking out. He's a Ford guy. Anyways, um, Garrett, I, I thoroughly appreciate your message for communion this morning. I don't know where you are. Where'd you go? Brother... It, the thing that impresses me more than anything is you're listening to the Lord. That can't be said about everybody your age, I, I, regretfully. Uh, you've listened to him this week. Um, fabulous. Elise, young lady. Whew. Okay, last I saw her, she was like, yeah. People that get old say that, don't they? And like, last I saw you. Okay, so this morning. This week, um, when Alan called me, maybe three weeks ago, <laughs> said, Matt, I, I really, we really would like to have you come back to the church and do a revival this spring. I, I literally laughed first because I know my schedule uh, this spring is, is, has been done and packed for several months. And I, and I just threw out, I've got a week at the beginning of February, like in two weeks. But I know that's, that's probably problematic. He's like, eh, let me make some calls. I'm thankful I have this week. Because this week, I, I want to impact, as I always ask the Lord to help me do, impact your worldview. See, Creation Truth Foundation, for those of you that don't know who we are, or who I am, we're a biblical worldview training ministry. Well, that's just fancy talk for we want you to understand that the word of God is authoritative for everything in your life. This is absolute truth. All of it. Genesis included. See, as much as most people think of us as being a creation ministry because we deal with Genesis, yes, but there's more in Genesis than just the first chapter. And so, when we talk about worldview, several years ago, I, I came up with this, this little, little acronym thing called BRIDGE. I first developed it for, uh, for students. As I share often, even though I'm president of Creation Truth Foundation now, I am still in student ministry. That's my call. That's what the Lord put on my, on my heart and, and, my, and my life years ago now. But for the last 17 years, even though I wasn't in local church, I haven't been in local church student ministry, I am still in student ministry. You are before me today as my students. That's how I see it. I don't care how old you are. If you do not continue to see yourself as a student before the Lord, I'm going to say that's the first thing I want to challenge you with in your worldview this morning. Please never come to a place with the Lord that you're like, oh, I got it all under control. I, I know your word forwards and backwards, and, and there's nothing new, Lord, you can teach me. 
Please don't ever come to that position. Again, don't care how old you are. He will continue to teach us. He continually continually teaches me new things all the time. Even out of passages that I deal with every week. The things we're going to talk about this week. From beginning today, this morning with with creation to, to, to tonight, rebellion. What the third chapter of Genesis holds for our worldview. To, to I, indignation. There's a word you use like every day, right? Indignation. Some of you already are like, oh, i got to Google that. What is it? Righteous wrath. The flood was exactly that. And we will study that in depth tomorrow evening. Tuesday, we're going to talk about something that, that doesn't get talked about often, but is important for our worldview. How we see each other. Dispersion. The Tower of Babel. How do we study the Tower of Babel? What does it have implications for our life today? How does that point in history impact us today? And last but not least, like I feel like I, I, I don't even need to share my message, Garrett, on, on Wednesday night. The gospel and the ending. We're talking about beginning today, but we're going to talk about ending on on Wednesday night. But we can't talk about the ending without discussing the gospel. And see, this whole week is about the gospel. People complain to me, but Matt, why do you focus so much on Genesis? Because if we don't get Genesis right, then the gospel is nothing. It's nothing. And we do not make that connection. So it's a blessing to be back with you. Turn with me to Romans chapter Chapter 12 this morning. Romans chapter 12. I absolutely love how the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, writes in the second verse of chapter 12, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we're told by the Apostle Paul that if we're followers of Christ, if we've devoted ourselves to that relationship, then it is an ongoing thing that we renew our mind like His. In Him. Notice it says renewing. It doesn't say like we get to a point where we're done. That's an ongoing thing. And notice what what the Apostle Paul says. If we don't do this, what will we miss? His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Like if we don't have... A biblical understanding, using his word in everything in our life, if our mind and our worldview is not set on him, we are going to miss something, church. And I stand before you this morning and say, we are missing things, church. As a whole, there are churches that will never invite me in. You know why? Because I stand on the word of God as we read it. As we plainly read it. I trust it as it is written. 
There are churches that will not have me in because I take that stand. That's where my worldview is. If you're here this morning and you're planning on coming this week and you're not maybe there yet in your life, in your walk with him, I'm really glad you're here. I, I, ask, I, I just ask you to, to give me a few moments this week. Like out of the course of your life, a few hours is not going to be much. But I've been praying that the Lord would use me to move you. To move you. To move you towards Him. With Him. Allow His his Spirit. See, we talk about His Spirit often. But I think think we, we, we... we either swing one way or the other. We, we either swing to the side that uses him more like a magic wand. Or we don't use him ever because that was something he moved way back a long time ago. He doesn't move like that anymore. And we limit his power. Who he is that lives in us when we accept him and know him and have been washed by his blood and his only. So this week I... I've been asking the Lord to help me share how we should be moved by him, touched by him. So that's our study this week. Worldview. This is my simple definition. It's the, it's the beliefs that everybody has that are based on something that we, we believe is true. Everybody has a worldview. You just don't always think about it. <laughs> It's all those beliefs that, that, that have been impacted by things you've read, you've studied, you've been, you've been raised in, in this home or that home, or you went to this school or that school, or you, you watch this documentary, that documentary. Whatever it is, they impact our worldview. They impact how we read this. How we read his word. Everything we've ever learned. Seen, experienced, everything about our worldview we bring to this book. Good and bad. So, so let me give a, a, a little quick test before we get to Genesis 1 this morning. It's a little test I really enjoy doing because it emphasizes what worldview does in our life. What is this? A T-Rex, very good. That is, that is what that is. All right. Anybody know the specific one this is that I've taken a picture of? This is a T-Rex, but, but, but she has a name. She's in Chicago. Her name is Sue. She is the largest one that we have today. See, dinosaurs is one of the things that we deal with at Creation Truth Foundation. For those of you that know us, you know that we, I normally travel with a, a pretty decent collection of, of fossils, of dinosaurs. It's been, I was sharing with somebody earlier, it's been a while since I've been out of the office, just me in a truck without dinosaurs. So it, it, it was fun to drive yesterday, just get in, woo, no way stations, no. Okay, so what is this? Chicken. Never, ever forget since the one time it happened at a church in Missouri, not this one, not anywhere in Mound City. I put this up and I asked that very same question. What is this? And I got dead silence. And I'm like looking at chicken. Like, what? Do we not have chickens around? Okay, so 
Here's your worldview question. See, here's what worldview does to us. Don't answer out loud. Which of these creatures have been on earth longer? T-Rex or chicken. See, based on what you believe, based on what you've learned, based on what you've experienced, you answer that question one way or another. I need you to understand, worldview plays a picture in that. We'll talk about it more as we go forward this week. But spoiler alert, the chicken's been here longer. See, that's, that's tough for some. That's tough for some to, what? I'm already, I, I, can, I, can, I can just hear it in your brain right now. What? Okay. Okay, what is this? Gorilla, good. Good, very good. Very good. And, and what is this? I love I love you, Corey. You know, Facebook is such a wonderful thing. I am so thankful for Facebook. Um, let me ask the worldview question. Okay? Please don't answer out loud. Um, what's of, which of these are a primate? See, depending on what you've been taught, depending on how you read the Word of God, determines how you answer that question. Now, some of you maybe, well, Corey, that's really, really tough. Like, that's a, that's a very tough question. I love you, man. I'm thinking, who can I find a picture? Corey. Okay. <clears throat> Just thank your wife. Thank your wife. Posts wonderful pictures. <laughs> so as we talk this week, worldview becomes very important. This week, my desire is to bridge it. An ongoing thing. Today, we are talking specifically about the first chapter in all of history. When we're talking about time. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Please, those of you that know me, do not think we are going to go through every day for the next hour and a half. Okay. Um, Not my desire this morning. We don't have time. But I need you to understand, I don't know what you've heard. I don't know what you've been taught about the first chapter of Genesis. There's a concerted effort right now, it seems like, in the evangelical church to promote this chapter as just a story, an allegory. Not an actual historical record, just an an idea or a framework of what the Lord did, not what he actually did in history. I need you to understand this morning, if we're working on our worldview, you've got to understand this is when history began. The Hebrew, the original text that the Lord inspired, that's our first text, the oldest text that we have of this chapter, never reads like an allegory or a story. Doesn't. Talk to an actual Hebrew scholar. He will never tell you that it reads like an allegory, that it's written like an allegory, that it's written poetically. It is not. It is a run-on sentence of this and 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 this is what the Lord did. We'll touch on it this morning. But it 
it's really, really important for us to study this first. Not only does the Lord put it in His Word, His inspired Word first, there are there is a very, very concerted effort to say that this chapter isn't right. See, there's this other worldview, this evolutionary worldview, that all of us have been impacted by. I don't care if you have grown up in the church or not. I don't care if you've been a Christian your whole entire life. You have been evolutionized somewhere in your worldview. We cannot grow up in this country without that. I would dare say around the world as well. So, so when we open the first chapter, I need us to understand this morning that this is history. It's written that way. And there's nothing about it, if you sit here this morning or you're listening to me online this morning, that, that ever supports the idea that somehow the Lord used evolutionary things to get us to where we are today. See, that's becoming a very popular position. Very popular opinion. Well, the Lord could have used evolution. I totally agree. He very, well, he very well could have. But that's not what he said he did. I mean, when we, when we just look at this picture alone on the screen... The order is entirely different from the way he had it written about what he did. The order is entirely different. So one of my first challenges to your worldview that we will continue to work on all week is this. If you do not trust what we're about to read, what this first chapter says that he did, I need you to ask yourself in your worldview, what am, I, what am I listening to or I've heard and that I've placed above what this says that I can't believe it? Are you hearing me? See, here's what I find. I come across well, well-meaning people all the time. But Matt, I don't think it's really important we see this as a historical record. I said, but, but if we just sat down with this and we had no other museum, science class, nothing. If we had nothing else in our entire life to influence us, what would we believe would be the first week of history? We would read this and go, well, this reads like the first week of history. And my next question to you will be this. Then what is it that says it's not to you? So what I find is we we have this, this problem in our worldview at times that somehow we place other things outside of this book above this book. And then we can't accept this book. We can't accept his infallible word. And we think it's a problem with the text. We think there's an inconsistency in his word. No, there's an inconsistency in us, in me, in how I see him, my creator, my savior. So what am I talking about? Let's go to this day one. See, day one, he he creates the heavens and the earth, it says. See, evolution, this Big Bang idea that we've all heard about, says that everything came from nothing, but it did it all by itself. When it first came out back in the late 60s, early 70s, the scientific community did not like it because it sounded too close to what the Word of God says. Because the Word of God says he created out of nothing. But there's a huge difference. Did you catch the difference? Evolution says it did it all by itself, but the Lord identifies himself in the first verse of all of Scripture. Who began it all? God. He did. We have a creator. We have somebody in charge. According to the Word of God, the first verse in all of Scripture, there is somebody in charge. 
And if we continue to read throughout the rest of Scripture, we find out that he didn't just start it and then let it go. He's actively moving in it. Isn't that interesting? When we get to the third verse. Ooh, look at the third verse right quick. Now the earth was formless and empty. Excuse me, second verse. Formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Hovering over the waters. The, the word there for hovering is rachaf. It, it's this very, you got to get it back in your throat. Everybody, everybody, everybody like, act like you're clearing your throat. Rachaf. It, it's this word that, that can mean move. It can mean flutter. It can mean shake. Isn't that interesting? It can mean energize and incubate when you're brooding over something. Very much is used that way in the Hebrew. Or fertilizing something. You know what he was doing? By his spirit, he was moving. He was brooding. He was, he was prepping that matter on that first day for everything else he was going to do the rest of the first week. And it was by his what? What does it say? Who was doing that work? His spirit, right? The spirit side of him. Right? God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Here we see first in Scripture Him moving in His creation. (laughs) Don't leave it over there by itself. Unimportant to the rest of creation. It began the first day. He began moving the first day. The first day, and He hasn't stopped, church. He hasn't stopped. It's not like He just pulled up stakes and like, I'm done. I'm done moving, shaking things up, working on things. So he creates this light thing. Let there be light. That's how I, that's how I hear it when I read it. More power in that phrase than I can describe to you. His power, His glory. The creator of everything. His power, His glory. His eternal power and glory He put in time when He said, let there be light. Power. Beyond what I could describe to you. Was it physical light? Yes. Overwhelmingly, the text shows us it was physical light. But it was more than that. It was everything we study in in science as electromagnetic Spectrum stuff. To, as a Hebrew scholar told me once, he said, Matt, I see it. I see it also as he is the polarity of every atom and every particle in an atom. That little strong force thing we say is holding the nucleus of every atom together. But yet in physics, we cannot explain. We have zero explanation scientifically. Guess what my short answer is? Him. His power, His glory. Colossians tells us He holds what? All things together. You do understand, everything is atomic, right? You remember that part from science class? Everything is atomic. A.K.A. He holds all things together. Started on day one with light. What a, what a glorious creation 
And when, when if you look there, you'll, you'll find this little word that to you and me is mediocre at best. Good, right? When the Lord uses it on these days and other places, it means perfect and complete. Remember the verse we started with this morning. What is his will? Good, pleasing, and perfect. (laughs) He uses both of those words together for his will, who he is. If he says good, it is not like mediocre, like you and I think of good. Like, well, it could be better. <laughs> like, it's not the best, but it, no, 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 no. If he's using the word good, whoo, and it's complete. Whatever he made on those days when he said good, it was complete. It was done. It was finished when he said that word. Good. He makes the first day of history. I could spend a, a long a long dissertation about how this is an actual day. Here's my short answer to it. If you want to deal with that and you have questions about that, please come see me. But over and throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, when the word yom is used, when the word day is used, if it has a number or it has morning or evening with it, every time, woo, every time, in the entirety of the Old Testament, if yom is used, and it has an identifier with it, it always means a day like we would understand a day in our frame of reference, our understanding. Zero exceptions. So why would we ever think that it would be totally different the first week of history? And if you go to Jeremiah chapter 33, just write this one down. If you're like one of those, like, I'm not sure about this day thing, write down this passage. Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 19 through 21. Tells us very clearly right here in the Word of God, it's a covenant. Covenantly controlled day and night. Who controls things by covenants? He does. When's the first time we see day and night in all of Scripture? Right here on the first day. We are fully free to believe what we would love to believe and however we want to believe. But when we imply our worldview on the word of God and our worldview is wrong, then we are wrong. We should always allow the word of God to interpret the word of God first. Not bring in outside things to the word of God. Are you hearing me? We have to be very, very careful about that. So, day one. And day two, he separates water from water. Woo! That's, that's, as I often say, that's the day I have the most questions about. But notice, he doesn't say good. He doesn't complete. Whatever he starts on day two, he's not completed yet. He doesn't say it was good. We go to day three. Day three is that day, for those of you that are farmers, this is your day. Because he made, he made botany. He, he, he made your livelihood. Hello? See, the evolutionary worldview, the evolutionary belief of how we have plants is totally against what the Word of God just says right here on this day that he did. In case you don't remember from science class, evolution says this, that all plants today started from water and, and algae in the water. Started from algae. 
Every biology textbook that I've seen used in high school across this country has that statement somewhere in it. Usually in the section on botany. All plants started from green algae. That statement is said. When we're talking science, church, focus. Look at me. Look at me. Science is observing, testing, repeating, falsifying. That is science. Can everybody nod with me? That's science. Observe, test, repeat, falsify. That is science. There is zero. Woo! Zero. Zero scientific evidence that says all plants came from algae. Zero. I cannot be more emphatic about that. I don't care what your textbook says. This is not a science issue. This is a faith, a worldview, a a soul-saving issue to me. Because, see, we go to museums like the Field Museum, one of, the great, one of our best museums in the United States in Chicago. And it is a fabulous museum. They have some really great specimens. Highly encourage everybody to go, to go to the Field Museum. On a sign, it says this. Where did the first land plants come from? Earth's first land plants were small and moss-like, living near the water's edge. They evolved from one type of algae. What kind of algae? Green algae. That's literally right here on a sign. Okay? Right here on a sign is this diagram. The lineage of all plants. Notice what comes from, in all the plants, what comes from actually green algae. Nothing comes from green algae in their diagram. Literally, they're like right here. Like, my first thought is, how does this not get past some editor or something? I mean, if, if you fervently believe that all plants, so, so the wheat that you guys plant, the corn, the beans, everything that you plant, you know what's going to come up when you plant it. Whatever you plant is what you're going to get. Guess what? That's scientific. Are there varieties in those different kinds? Oh, yes, there are. Isn't it interesting, though? On the diagram, nothing has actually come from the green algae. Because you know what I really believe? Every scientist knows there's no way to prove that. No evolutionarily driven scientist, they know they cannot support it. It's a belief. It is not science. It is a worldview. It is not science. So, what's the word of God say? Look at, look at what he says he begins doing here. Look at verse 11 and following. Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it. So he, he introduces this idea of kinds. That is, that is pretty much genetics 101, according to the word of God. They're going to reproduce after their kind. So as you know very full and well, when you plant wheat, you're going to get more wheat. Oranges always make more oranges. Are there varieties of those plants? Sure. The Lord built within the deck of wheat genetics all the abilities of what we have and call wheat today. It's that simple. It's the simple. And, and we all know that. 
We all understand it. We know that from, from like second grade when we take the bean and we put it in the little Dixie cup with the, with the soil and we put our thumb in it and we put the bean in and then we, we set it up in the windowsill and it grows and, and, and we're like, hey, we're not surprised that a bean comes up. We know that. We know scientifically what the word of God says that he made everything by their kinds to reproduce after their kinds is exactly scientific. But we hear things, we learn things that say, well, that can't be right. Be careful what we put above what the word of God says. Be careful. Go to day four. Day four, as you, may, you guys may know and remember, it's one of my favorite days of creation because he, he creates everything in the heavens outside of us, the sun, the moon, all of, our, all of the planets in our solar system to to all of the galaxies that now we are seeing in much more clarity, even the most distant galaxies in our universe with our brand new web telescope that was launched and went online last year. And I can't tell you the number of articles that I have already read by astronomers that are using the web and they are somewhat freaking out that the Big Bang may be in question by what we are seeing with this this telescope. They've literally made that statement. An astronomer from the University of Kansas said in an article, these are the kinds of things that are keeping me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. She's a Big Bang follower. But the things we're discovering with our new telescope are showing could be problematic for a Big Bang origin. But you know what? Every article says to me when I'm reading it, when we're observing something in the heavens, it says he made it. And he made it the way he wanted to make it. And historically, according to the Word of God, 6,000 years ago, and it doesn't have a problem with anything we're seeing. That history has zero problem. Are you hearing me? That has zero problem. When we take what the Word of God says and we look at the history in this book as it's written, has zero problems with the things in the universe. That shouldn't surprise us, church. It should excite us. It should excite us to do more science. <laughs> That's what it should excite us to do. We go to day five. Day five is, is when he begins making the animal kingdom. Look with me, though. Look with me at verse 20 right quick. Let the water team with see the words living creatures there. Living creatures is a Hebrew phrase called kaye nefesh. It means blood containing life, animated blood containing life. That is what those words mean. He does not use focus. Whoop, listen to me. Does not use this phrase on day three with plant life. Plant life, totally different than day five, day six life, according to the word of God. He uses this here for animated blood-containing life, kain nefesh. It gets translated living creatures in our text, living things sometimes. So what does he make? He makes everything in the animal kingdom that is water-based or winged on day five. So it's whales. It also would include mosasaurs, tylosaurs, stuff that we classify as dinosauria, stuff we've seen in Jurassic World. 
There's no other time in history, according to the word of God, that waterborne reptiles are, would have their existence. Would have been created. But he also made everything with wings. So uh, the, the beautiful eagles to the, to the wonderfully creative puffins. More I, more I study that they're very interesting birds to me. To the winged creatures like pteranodons, pterodactyls. Are they winged? Did they fly? To the best of our understanding. That means the Lord would have had to have made them on what day? Day five. That's when he made winged creatures. See, already our worldview is being mashed. Some of us, if you're sitting here and you've never heard the message the Lord has given to me before, you're being impacted in your worldview because we've been told over and over again these things have went extinct how long ago? 66 million years ago. That's present day. They've upped it from 65. Jurassic World was wrong last summer, by the way. It's 66 now. So we've, we've been told, we've been taught, nothing has ever lived with them except for stuff that lived with them. Definitely not mammals. Definitely not us. Fossil record doesn't support that. Spoiler alert for tomorrow night. Fossil record does not support that. Doesn't support it at all. We have mammals and dinosaurs. They're buried together. Nobody ever wants to talk about it. And we have other stuff that, that tomorrow night I need to share with you. Don't miss tomorrow night. Other stuff that says it is not millions of years. It's like some of it almost looks like it was buried yesterday. What? You don't miss tomorrow night. So let's get to the, to the day that, that we should see as being the most impactful day for you and me. Because he starts out the day making more living creatures. Look at verse 24. But he begins making kinds of creatures that are land-dwelling creatures. So he makes everything that is land-dwelling that we have ever known or is either is in existence today or is, or is extinct. Dinosaurs. Were they land animals? Yes. Dinosaurs technically are land animals. That means they were made on the same day as other mammals, according to the Word of God. Again, I think this is stretching for some. And, and notice, notice the end of verse 25. Look with me. At the end of making all of these land animals by their kinds, it says, And God saw that it was good. That means what again, church? Perfect and complete. Done. Done. He was done making the animal kingdom. But wait, what have we not got created yet in the text? Us. What have we been told over and over again about us? In an evolutionary understanding, we are, we are just a primate. We're in the animal kingdom. We're classified in the animal kingdom. Under primate, along with the gorillas and the orangutans and the, and the chimpanzees. Now, signs in zoos go so far to say that humans and chimpanzees share 95 to 98% the same DNA. Who's heard a similar percentage given? Who's seen it on a sign? 
Focus when you go to the zoo from now on. Especially when you're in the ape house. The monkey house. Generally, I've found, with the exception of very few zoos, this is stated somewhere. This sign, I took this sign during COVID 2020 Oklahoma City Zoo. Walking through the zoo with my family, just wanted to get outside, go do something, and they'd open the zoo. And so we went. I'm passing this sign, and I went, oh, good grief. Because it's not unlike other signs. St. Louis Zoo has this, this sign at the Gorilla Habitat. I've shown this numerous times for years. I took this back in, like, 15, 2015-ish. Uh, great apes are our closest king. We share 98.4% of our genes with gorillas. Just so you understand, most of the genetics guys today do not ride at all that we're not even remotely close to that with gorillas at all. It's now chimpanzees only. But actually, if you go, if you would have went to the National Academy of Sciences meeting in 2012, here's what was stated very clearly. It is now clear that the genetic differences between humans and chimpanzees are far more extensive than previously thought. Their genomes are not 98 or 99% identical. Look at the date. It's 2012. The signs that I just showed you are since then. Guess what they're not telling us? The truth. The actual observational scientific truth about our genetics. One of the most comprehensive genetic studies, there have been two to three in the last several years that have been done, looking at the entire genome entire genome of chimpanzees and us, we are no more than 84% similar. Now, some of you may be going, ooh, that's a lot closer than I was kind of hoping. (laughs) But if we have a creator giving us the text that we have about how he started everything, he started everything to live in this environment. What's our environment called? Earth. If he's created us to live in a similar environment, would it not surprise us that there's not similarity between some things? Does that automatically equal common ancestry, or should it better be viewed in our worldview as common designer? See, it's always about our worldview, church. Yeah, monkeys have eyeballs and hearts and lungs and... (laughs) All the pieces and parts that are very similar to us, but there's vast differences between us and primates. And biblically speaking, we were never created in our kind. It never uses that term with us anywhere in Scripture. Listen to me, church. He reserves kinds to things outside of us in creation. I believe he does that specifically to show us and remind us We're not part of the animal kingdom. We're not like the rest of the animals that he made. Wonderfully. Designed them wonderfully. Created them to do what they do. But he made us what? What's the word of God say? How did he make us? In his image. Woo! What a powerful word. Especially for today. The questions being thrown out there of who am I today? Those that are wrestling with that question, who am I? I've got to figure out who I am. Guess who we should be looking to? 
our creator, the one who made us, who knows us better than we know ourselves. Do you understand you cannot trust yourself at times? Has that happened to you in your life yet? Been like, why did I think that? Like, that's insane. What was that all about? If that hasn't happened to you yet, young folks, listen to me. Yeah, it's going to happen. Just, that's just going to happen. You're going to be like, what was I thinking? Like, what? Because the word of God says by, from our creator, we are sinful. We are not perfect. We're not. So when we start thinking that our, our worldview, our mind can be better than what the Lord has for us, we are in trouble. More trouble than we know. So, so image. Here's a few parts of our image that the animal kingdom didn't get because they're not made in his image. Worship. Now some of you are like, but there's that verse about rocks crying out. Listen to me. They do it because of who made them. They point us to him. Everything points us to him. We see the design in everything. But we get to worship. Hello? Our image says we get to worship. We don't have to. You have a, cho- you have a choice. You can say no to the Lord. But when you acknowledge who he is, when you understand who he is, everything about you wants to cry out to him. Because he made you. And he loves you no matter what. He loves you no matter what. You know why he loves you no matter what? Because you're made in his image. There's nothing else in all of creation that can say that. Nothing. There's not an animal. First John is very clear. God is love. It's part of our image. That's why we, we do it. That's why it, it feels good to love somebody else, to care for somebody else. We, you do understand we know right and wrong. You get that? Like if we didn't know right and wrong, it would be okay for me, for me to take you out and you should be okay with it. But everybody knows that's not right. Because that's part of our image. It is not just survival of the fittest. Hello? It's not. There is somebody in charge. James says he is the lawgiver and the judge. He has set the rules and he's going to judge accordingly. The perfect lawgiver and judge uses that terminology. Wow. So we we know what's right and wrong. We wonder why. If you are a parent in here, you know and understand when you have kids, you learn the word why. Every one of our kids hits that age where everything is why, 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 why. Whether they want to know why or not, actually. You know, it's like, you give them an answer and they're like, but why? Okay, That's part of our image, church. We, we want to know why. We want to know how all this creation works. Like that, that's, that's, in, that's built in us. That is designed in us. At creation. We are to subdue. We are to understand the creation. So we can rule it. So we can conserve it. So we can take care of it. We cannot take care of something we do not understand. Very difficult to do. So he tells Adam, he tells man, he tells woman, 
to do science, to understand it, study it. That's a biblical reality. I don't care what Bill Nye believes. Bill Nye has clearly stated over and over again, you cannot trust what this... If you trust what this says, you can't do science. That's how I technically answer that question. That statement. That, totally ridiculous. I really believe he knows that's totally ridiculous. He's just saying it to, to get a voice out there. Get, get press. He knows he can't support that scientifically. With those in science through history. He knows he can't support that. <laughs> we also serve each other. Have you ever experienced... How good you feel after you've served somebody else? When you put somebody else before you, you know what that feels like? You know why it feels like that? Because he went to the cross for you. He got on his knees and he washed his disciples' stinky, nasty feet. Because that's part of our image. We are, we are, we are created with the with the ability and the understanding that we should serve someone else, that has zero evolutionary advantage. Zero. The evolutionary th- cannot explain that. Why, that. why that works like that. Because, what again, evolutionary idea is, if I'm better than you, I should be able to take you out. <laughs> I don't want to serve you. Like, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to put you higher than me? Because then you might take me out. Like, that's not good. Part of our image. Last but not least, we design things. I I use an illustration that I have done numerous times. Back in COVID, I got the opportunity to to be invited into a Christian school up in Woodward, Oklahoma, and I had to develop some some classroom um, um, like lessons and whatnot, right? For this science class. And so every other week I was traveling to Woodward, Oklahoma, and 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 I have this 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 class of pre-K K kindergartners. Woo! It'd been a little while since I'd really worked with pre-K and K. Huh. Yeah, like the first couple times was a little rough. Okay, it was more than a little rough. It was rough. And, um, and then I, I just, okay, okay, Lord, help me. Help me think like a pre-Ker, please, so I can connect with these. So we're talking about this lesson about design, and I literally took a huge box of Legos and went across the floor in in the room. I literally had to do nothing other than say, go. That's all I had to say. I just said, go. Every one of them got up and began doing what? Designing something. Building something. It's ingrained in our image to design things to build things, to figure things out, all of the above. That's, that's our image, guys. That's our, that's our image. And we see it in, in wonderful things that we have the ability to make. <laughs> I mean, absolutely things that, that should not be possible. The airplane is just amazing. Just amazing. But the Lord has allowed us to design those things and given us the knowledge and the and the ability to do those things. I, I see that as part of our image. As I, as I close this morning, I, I need you to understand 
as much as I've stated this morning, this is the actual history of the first week of history, I need you to understand there is, there is science behind it as well. It's not just a nice thought to read it that way. When it comes to us, back in 1988, some geneticists came across a portion in every one of our nucleus called mitochondrial DNA. And their thought process was, okay, we're the advanced primate, but so let's look for the genetic connections there. And they come across mitochondrial DNA. And, and, and what they came across in 1988 is this. Trained in molecular biology, they looked at an international assortment of genes, and they picked up on a trail of DNA that led them to a single individual woman whom we are all descended from. So the science, observing, testing, repeating, falsifying our genetics, says that we all came from how many women? Guess what that's problematic for? Why? Why the article says scientists explore a controversial theory. You know why it was controversial? Because your text in front of you says we have all come from how many women? One. What was her name? (laughs) the text says that as much as we want to argue that's a story an allegory just a nice nice uh, it's a nice story genetics says no it's more than a story it's genetically not only plausible it's right scientifically huh they put this date on her they called her mitochondrial eve by the way They put a date on her. They said, okay, looking at the genetics and and how fast mutation rates would lock in in generations, she's probably like 100 to 200,000 years ago. Is is that quite a bit different than the paleoanthropologist, the guys digging the heads up in Africa? What's the date they put on us splitting from the primates, generally? Roughly 3 million years ago. That's That's the going rate. That's when we split from the primates, from the common ancestor, and our, our wings started going this way, our limb on the, on the tree went this way, and, and so that's where we would have split off, like millions of years ago. The genetics say, no! Genetics say, no, that's not possible. Guess what you never see put together? A genetic story and a paleoanthropology story. Guess who never comes together to put a story together? Because their stories are totally different. Their scientific understanding is worldview-driven, and it doesn't match, church. So 10 years after this published came out in 88, they began to continue to look at this mitochondrial Eve idea, and they acknowledged, listen, we, we believe that she, she lived 100 to 200,000 years ago in Africa. Does our genetics have, a, have, a, have like a sign on one section of it that says made in Africa? Does it say that? I don't care what ethnicity you are. Guess what it doesn't say? It doesn't say we were all made in Africa. It doesn't. That is pure worldview. Don't miss Tuesday night. Mm, Tuesday night. So in 98, they began looking at it, and they looked at the mutation clock that they were using, and then they they made this acknowledgement. Actually, this one mitochondrial Eve... She would be actually a mere 6,000 years old. Church, listen to me. These guys are not Bible-believing folk. 
They're geneticists. They're, they're looking at the data being spit out from their understanding of how, how long it takes for a mutation to stick in a generation and then to be passed on. That clock in 1998 said, the one woman that we've all come from, she should have lived like somewhere around 6,000 years ago. What? What did I state early on? The history of this book says we've been here. 6,000 years. I mean, the genetics says that we've been here 6,000 years. But but it's not about science. It's about worldview. Look what the next statement in the article is. No, No one really thinks that's the case. Like, the data is right there. The data is right, right here. <laughs> and then your worldview takes over. Hello? Your worldview takes over how to interpret the data. Uh, in case you want another study, here's the most massive study to date, and that was in 18, of, of genetic... genetic um, Genomes across the board, over five, if memory serves me right, over 500,000 genomes were compared and looked at. They discovered 90%, they say that 90% of all animals on earth appeared right around the same time. Really? Like maybe in the first week? Okay. More specifically, woo, check this out. I like this. More specifically, they found that nine out of ten animal species on the planet came to being at the same time as humans did. So genetically, theirs isn't any older than ours. <laughs> but then look at what they put at the end of how old it is. Guess what science they're ignoring? They're ignoring that we, our genetics say we're not that old. So we're just going to run with the 100,000, years ago thing. <laughs> we know better in science. But it comes down to worldview. Do we trust this book or not for our worldview. Because on the seventh day, he says he's done. When he completed us, he said it was very good. I'd love to ask him what he meant by very good when good is already perfect and complete. I really truly believe it's it's when he made us in his image. He said, now it's done. Now, now, now it's better than, it, than it's been to this point even. <laughs> Which is hard for us to grasp when it's already been perfect. And there, there's, there's no death. You know, we didn't study the part on day six. He gave us all the plants to eat. That was what we were to eat. Were plants. Because they're not kaya fish. There was nothing dying of blood-containing life. He designed and made the things on day Day three, for us to eat in perfection. Chew on that. I, I'm thankful for chapter 9, verse 3. Don't, don't miss tomorrow night. Because I'm not a vegetarian. And I'm okay if you are. I'm not. Chapter 9 tells me why I'm not. Okay? So tomorrow night. So we've seen the first week of history here this morning. It started with him moving in creation. Him shaking it up. Him him impacting it. 
Let's close in Acts chapter 4, please. Everybody's like, finally. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have been released from the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin didn't like what they were saying, what they were claiming of who Christ was, and they, they get released. They come back to, to the followers of Christ, and, and look what it says in, in verse 24. So Peter and John shares with them, shares with them, listen, um, yeah, those, in, those in, the, in the synagogue and those the higher be in, the, in, the, in, in our faith, they've told us not to mention Jesus' name. I can, I can picture them going... Okay, um, so they're, they're sharing everything that's happened to him. Look at verse 24. When they heard this, those that had heard what had happened with Peter and John, they raised their voices together in prayer. Look how they begin the prayer, the praise. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who are they acknowledging above everything else? The maker of everything. They knew immediately there is no reason for them to praise who he is, what they've just done and witnessed in Peter and John's life, without acknowledging who he is as the sovereign Lord, the one who is in control. And the only reason he has that control and he's sovereign is by that next statement. They state what, why, he has, why he's sovereign. Because Genesis 1 is right. If we don't acknowledge that, we're missing it. He, he goes, they go on in, in, in prayer and they acknowledge, listen, all of these things are happening around us and Nathan, Nathan, nations are raging and, and all of this upheaval. But even though, even though they look, look at verse, verse 27 there, even though Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and your people came against him, it was by his will. It was by the Creator's will that he would come and do what he did. It wasn't just us that put him on the cross. He went there willingly. The Creator came willingly to save you. And look at what happens. Verse 31, as they finished their prayer. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. See, they were asking the Lord to help them speak His name boldly. Is that your desire this morning? See, here's what I want to do this week. I want you to know and understand He is moving. We talk all the time, and it is so right, we should have unshakable faith. But, here's the problem. We also think that's very stagnant. We forget that he's constantly moving. As he did the first day of history and throughout creation when he was making it. He was showing us who he is. He's ready to move. He's ready to impact you. He's ready to shake you. Yes, there was a physical shaking Earthquakey, that's what it's it's what it's written like here. But I have to believe they were shaken here too. That the spirit was moving in them, fluttering in them, hovering in them. To go do what? 
speak boldly about him. About who has changed their life. Who has impacted their life. But it all started in that prayer with creation. As it has this week with us together. Creation is vitally important. How you, how you read Genesis is vitally important. And we will continue to weave things together and show that the Word of God has continuity through the entire book. Amen? Lord, in this place today, I, I praise you for who you are. Lord, you are our Creator and you are our Savior. Lord, this morning we, we give you praise for making everything. And Lord, I thank you and praise you that we can do science and there's nothing in science that says you didn't do what you said you did in the first chapter. Even the way you said you did it. Lord, I, I, I praise you that every time we do science, it supports it. What we can observe, test, repeat, falsify today, it always supports it. Lord, please help us to get our worldviews out of the way at times. The things that we've learned that, that aren't in line with your word. Lord, help us to get them out of the way. Stretch us. Lord, complete us. So that we may see you clearer. And speak your word more boldly. In Jesus' name, amen.